Mm-hmm. So it's actually mm-hmm. a better business model to not be about the money because we don't attract the people that are about it, which don't end up having a high, high lifetime value customer. Like I, I have friends that don't have a lot of customers, but like if you call it revenue per fan on Facebook, ridiculous. they're crushing. Ridiculous. Yes, crushing it. Welcome to the New Wave Entrepreneur, where we dive headfirst into Web 3.0, personal sovereignty, spirituality, and psychology. These conversations are unfiltered access to brilliant minds and actionable advice that will prepare you for the rapidly changing world. So, jump in. The water is warm and the tide is rising. Ah, my friends, welcome back to the New Wave Podcast. Daniel DiPiazza checking in with you here. So happy to have you on this episode. This is a throwback Thursday, and this is one of my favorite episodes. It's with serial entrepreneur Dan Martell. Now, Dan is the founder of one business you might know, because well, I've certainly used this business quite often in my career, Clarity.fm. And I believe that he sold his uh, his ownership in this company a while ago, but this was his brainchild. And Clarity.fm is a well-known site that is a database of experts and um, and mentors in specific areas of business. And it's actually a great place to find consultants and find people to help you come in at a, as a part-time, uh, essentially, um, expert to assist your business in growth. And I've used it a bunch in my career and talking to Dan about his experience building a SaaS, which is a software as a service, is really fascinating. And part of what we touch on in this interview is how SaaS itself, itself like a software uh, membership and a recurring product itself can build a strong community that creates a lot of intrinsic value, both for the, the actual community and also for potential investors. So that's such a, um, a, an important conversation. And even, of course, being that this was filmed in 2017 or recorded in 2017, these p- principles also apply. There's nothing from the pandemic or from you know the 2022 weirdness that makes any of this different at all. It's mostly just thinking about how you'd apply it in your own business. You know, Building a subscription-based business or a business that uh, has MRR, monthly recurring revenue, is probably the best way to uh, build value quickly in a company. And if you can figure out the model, it's a great that's a great idea. So I highly recommend you tap into uh, this interview. And while you're at it, make sure you check out newwaveentrepreneur.com. That's where we have updates on everything that I'm working on, including workshops that we're hosting, including uh, new, new wave experience dinners that I've been doing uh, all over the country. We have some coming up. Uh, and also where you can check out the archive of all the episodes we have for the show as well subscribe to the email list. And of course, we try to uh, to do our best to stay on all third-party platforms. So if you look at Instagram, for instance, I've already been shadow banned. I wouldn't be surprised if other platforms like YouTube perhaps, uh, you know, uh, either downplay my my reach or even all together cut, all together cut me off. And you, you see that it's just happening more and more with content creators who have independent voices. So the best way to get in contact with me is uh, definitely by email, via email, and also text message, which you can find uh, on newwayofentrepreneur.com, as well as the link to our Discord channel where we're having uh, up-to-date live conversations with our community. So make sure you're checking out everything that we have to offer there. Make sure you're subscribed on whatever platform you're listening to this on, Spotify, iTunes, and you leave a comment or a review because uh, it really helps the show grow. We appreciate it. Much love. Let's dive into today's episode.
This is the Rich 20-something Podcast with Daniel DiPiazza. He, yeah. he actually started recording when, like this, he was like, yeah, we're recording. I'm like, last 10 minutes have been recording, dude? He's like, yeah, it's just how I roll. And I'm like, let's do it. Guess what? I'm already recording. Um, there we go. Jordan's, one of, Jordan's a close friend, too, and I just kind of steal everything from him. Uh, he knows what he's doing. Thank you for, for taking uh, these, these precious moments from your, your life that you'll never get back to talk with me. Uh, I assume I that 50% that. of that was because we share the same name. I'm going to ask you something. That, that was a big part of it. I was like, oh, he's got a good name. <laughs> good name. Let's start there. Um, do, you know, do you know what the name Daniel, like, what the, like the Hebrew name, meaning of it is? Yeah. I'm not big into that either, but, it was, but it was, it's interesting. Uh, God is my judge. So go look it up. I don't know what it means. If it's anything significant <laughs> to you, I don't know, but I thought it was cool. I like it. Um, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing awesome. I'm, I'm excited. I just, you, you got me fresh, man. I just got back, Ooh. so... Um, I like talking to people, so I appreciate you having me on here. Got a fresh Dan in the house. Um, okay, so for anyone who doesn't know Dan Martell, you probably know Clarity. Um, so Clarity.fm, is that .fm, right? Yep. Okay, Clarity.fm is, um, it's basically your, it's like a go-to network for the world's smartest people in almost every field. And I've used it a few times before I even knew that Dan Martell was Clarity. I'm like, oh, this is cool. Looks like some people that I know are already on here. In fact, I know more of the people on Clarity than I actually know you, which is probably good. That's um, the way you want to build a company. Let them do all the marketing for you, right? Yeah. And um, so I think that's a really interesting place to start and then look back because when I was listening to your story, I, I kind of realized that everything you've done along the way, like you had um, like a web hosting business and you're telling crazy stories about how you don't want to host for a bank up 24-7 at 19 or 21. Uh, you basically fired yourself from a few really good jobs that your parents didn't like. Like you had all these interesting, like, I mean, you had a, you had a crazy, you know, childhood growing up and you, you've kind of like formed all these experiences into, or, or use all these experiences to form you into the person that you are now. And so it's easy to see you and look back and say, Oh, look at this big shot CEO. He knows everything, but you've kind of like, you've gone through the, through the ringer. And I, I wanted to take this opportunity to thank you for doing what you're doing for the entrepreneurial community because it's important and give you the floor to talk about what you've learned along the way. Yeah. I mean, you, you kind of brought it up, man. Like I don't think people realize how much work goes into becoming the person who can deal, you know, like that, all the stuff you said, it's like, I can remember the headspace I was at in all of those companies. And I'll, and I'll be the first one to tell you, I'm not the same person I was mm -hmm. when I was 17, starting my first company. Yeah. Um, you know, tw I'm 37. So 20 years ago, and it's just like, I don't think people have an appreciation for the amount of work that's required. And, and I think sometimes entrepreneurs do it intentionally and other, and other times they're forced into it and they don't realize it. But the truth is, is to go from zero to, to 10 to 100 to 1,000, 10,000 to 100,000, a million, to, like whatever your number is from company size to team or revenue or funding, um, you, you know, I look at Zuckerberg and, you know, he built Facebook. The kid that started Facebook yeah. is not the guy that that's CEO today. The man like that's now CEO. Yeah, like yeah. you can just go look at like his interview on the D conference like six years ago and he's sweating and the <laughs> woman's like, take your sweater off. And he's like, no, it's okay. And he's just a total <laughs> mess. To now he speaks in Mandarin and with confidence and poise of, of a young man. So like 
you, you, I just, I think that that's so understated. And I would say that's the, the ultimate lesson out of everything I've done is no matter what I decide to do next, I know that I've got to kind of grow into that role and, and think differently about my approach because that's the only way to make progress. Yeah, the interesting thing about Zuckerberg is, so people confuse, so I, I would say objectively, Zuckerberg knocked it out of the park on one of his first attempts, but you still have to grow into that role to be able to keep that company going. Someone who didn't grow in the way that he grew wouldn't have been able to maintain this behemoth that he's created, which he probably didn't even anticipate or have the vision for beforehand. No, I mean, people don't know the, the real story. I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be friends with a lot of guys that were there even before it was Facebook.com. Um, there was there was like, I think it was called Hog, Hog Sound Hog, Sound Hog. So like, so earlier when he was 12, he built a communication app for his dad's um, dental clinic. So, so when you say knocked it out of the park with his first attempt, yeah. I'm like, no, he started uh, when he was 12 and he built numerous pr projects um, you know, throughout, throughout high school and into college. And even Facebook, he didn't even think it was going to be a thing. Cause he was started working on this like social sound. That's how he got connected with all the guys from Napster was he, Facebook was growing college by college. Dustin Moskovich was in the corner kind of onboarding new colleges, but, but Zuckerberg started working on a different app. Cause he was more interested in like social and music and then all of a sudden this thing kind of blew up and he was like, oh, maybe I should go spend more time there and that. So it's like people, it, it's so easy to miss those stories because, you know, and we all do it. I do it. It's just, it's an easier story to tell. I was here, I wanted to go there and this was my arc. But it's a little bit boring if you actually like, you know what, I did a ton of other stuff or I failed at all these things or these assumptions were wrong or whatever. Um, but that's, that's usually always the case. People also want to, I mean, there's a certain amount of, um, what is it, projection, where people want to project the story on you that they'd like to believe because it makes it easier for them to see their own, oh, well, he just started this app and it blew up, so I'll start the next Facebook. No, you can't start the next Facebook because Mark Zuckerberg is a unique person in a unique place. He started 12 other projects before that. It's not just copying Facebook's growth hacking strategy. It's not what that is. No, no and, and the challenge with most uh, things that succeeded is time and place, right? Yep. So like the way Facebook grew back then, you couldn't replicate today, yeah. right? And the way Instagram grew, you couldn't replicate. And like there's there's innovation when the time has come and it works, but the window of opportunity is very small. And it's like, the you know, I always tell people like the best thing you can do is be you, right? That's the only original thing you can do. Yeah. You, you're a thousand percent you. It's I why know. people, you know, I think I think that's what people resonate with. And it's funny because they're all trying to be creative and the most creative thing they can do is that. That's that's the, you know, you could wait 20 years to try to figure that out yourself or you can just believe it today. But that's what humans want to connect with is being inspired by other people that are just unapologetically the, themselves. And I think that I, I resonate with that. I mean, you're a humble dude and, you know, you're like, oh, I don't really know anything about marketing. It was complete luck. But you also have been able to see, at least looking back, some things that have been triggered growth. So are there are there trends that you see that you hopped on inadvertently without knowing it? Is that is that what it is? Well, I'll say that humbleness is probably a fake humbleness because I'm Canadian. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, like I've got a healthy ego. I'm pretty confident about some of the yeah. stuff, you know, but like the, the truth is, is, you know, I don't forget how lucky I am. I was me and my brother, you know, we, we brought the families this weekend uh, on vacation and just like we're white Canadian uh, male, like, let's not kid ourselves, you know? And I think <laughs> yeah. like, we're just lucky just if that was all we want yeah. was the, the, yeah. that aspect of it. The fact that, 
you know, we um, we both kind of figured out what we love to do early in our life and just kept at it, I think, is, is another thing. So um, I've learned a lot of stuff about marketing. I think uh, the number one thing is you got to build something the customer wants. Yeah. And I, my approach has always been, it doesn't matter if it's software, that's what I'm known for. Um, I always try to validate the, the customer demand by pre-selling it. Always, always, always. And I can code things. I have teams of developers. It, the, the building it is not the hard part anymore. It's it's should you build it, right? Is there something unique and creative about the um, the solution that the market finds interesting? You know, the the I don't know. I feel like business can really be distilled in, down to that, right? It's like, does is there demand for what you're building? And that's what I love about all this crowdfunding that's going on. It's it's finally taken this concept I've been preaching for years and said, look, you can now go look at an example of you know a consumer electronics company a cosmetic company, a software company using the crowd to validate if there's enough demand to even build version one and, yeah. and you know, be okay calling it a project. I think there's just so much pressure with entrepreneurs these days to build companies when I think, I think I missed the early days when there was no pressure to perform, right? When you could just experiment and, you know, try things and, and it's okay if you worked on it for six months and then let it go. You know, I can't, I can't really do that anymore because people are going <laughs> to expect you just to, like, to ask, follow yeah, through. Just ask me questions. So like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm just messing around. I'm just playing. The way I approach projects now, and I do like, I like calling them projects because it gives you a sense of like detachment from the result. It's a project. You know, um, when I, when I did a project in school, if it didn't do well, there's always the next project. And I think about now the way I undertake projects. And one, I know that no matter what I do, all projects have a lifespan. So for me, Rich 20, I'm 29, I'm going to be 30. And the book that I put out, which hit number 11 New York Times list, self-promoting, uh, the book that I put out has a, um, there's an inherent lifespan, but the idea deserves more promotion. I'll continue to talk about it for a year or so, a few years. Um, but I think all projects have, and so if you're watching this right now or listening to this, remember that whatever you start now doesn't have to define you for the rest of your life because you've gone through several periods of reinventing yourself and now people are like, oh, Dan Martell, what a cool guy, Clarity. But like you've been reinventing yourself. And then also in terms of, and this is something I wanted to ask you, in terms of knowing which are the right projects to start. So here's the way I think of it. I think of it as I analyze everything that I can to, to, to try to decide if it's a good idea. And if it's good, I follow through all the way, in, all the way through until I know it's not going to work. But I don't stop halfway in the middle when I get scared. That's, that's when I think the biggest fear comes up. When you're, when you're doing something that's kind of working, but there's like the fear factor. I'll either not start it or I'll go all the way through. And I'm wondering what your philosophy to choosing which projects to approach and follow through on is. Yeah, so my approach is kind of, you know, using the, the kind of hypothesis experiments route. So like I'm working on, um, so I, I, you know, what I do now is, you know, I've always ran and operated my own companies uh, after I sold Clarity, that's uh, almost two and a half years ago. I just decided to be a dad. Um, and now that I didn't slow it out by any means. Yeah. I just, yeah. Pro kind of one of those projects that doesn't pay dividends and, you know, <laughs> Long -term the ultimate startup. Hold it. Buy it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if there's an ROI there, but well, I, I shouldn't say that. I know. I know. But, kidding. um, but, um, so now what I do is I, I kind of fund other companies. So I, what's fun is I get to go through this a lot. I was just on a call yesterday with, uh, an entrepreneur. We're, we're starting another software company. So we're going through this experience. And, and what we do is pretty much say, Here's the uh, hypothesis. This is what we think the market's going to do. And if it does X, then we'll keep going. So we actually kind of get, you know, kind of gate it so that we don't get too far. Because, I mean, you, we've all watched the Shark Tank or, 
you know, similar shows where the guy's been working on a board game for 25 years and he's put a quarter million dollars of his life savings and he's like, it's finally going to work. It's like, dude, let that go. Go burn it. Like, yeah. it's done. But so, so I'm all about like, I don't let up on an idea, but I do set kind of like, here's what I think is going to happen. So if I say, okay, let's go talk to, you know, 15 different types of companies and ask them about this specific thing. This is what we should be hearing. If we're not, we'll kind of retest it. But in regards to when I give up on it, I guess like, my whole thing is, is I really care about the problem and less about how I solve it. So if the problem's good, it's hard for me to let it go. So, but I'm cool giving up on the solution. I think that's where a lot of people get stuck is they, they almost come up with the solution first and then they go try to find a customer for it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, unromantic about um, what I build and more about here's the problem. So like clarity, I wanted to solve the challenge I grew up, you know, I grew up in a small town, 100,000 people, no entrepreneurial tech people around me to the opposite, you know, living in San Francisco and seeing the the abundance of talent and, and capabilities and saying, how do you bridge that gap? So I didn't care if it was a phone call or if it would have been an in-person thing or if it would have been some other network, like I'm going to solve that problem. Uh, it turned out the call process was a pretty, pretty good one. Um, but that that's the problem that I fall in love with and then just kind of pivot around it. So I don't, you know, until I find something like the web hosting you mentioned, like until I realize there's no life whatsoever if you start a web hosting company, um, the wrong way. I have good friends of mine that have done really well in that space, but yeah, I usually, I, I usually care less. That that's how I kind of decide if it's it's a, a thing for me. It's if I care about the problem still, then I'll that'll work around the different solutions. Yeah, I think you're right. I think everyone is very attached to their solution because it has their personal signature on it. I solve it this way. This is my product, and I think they get so wrapped up in. There's there's a certain amount of uh, you have to have a certain amount of ego to be an entrepreneur because it crushes your ego. So you have to have a little bit larger. You need ego. ego you got to have an sure. Ego. You have to. You have to listen to a lot of rap music. You have to like. You have to really like pump yourself up. Sometimes. I just think that yeah, but but let's talk like the idea of ego. I think there's there. It's kind of like you know, it's kind of like rich, right? I'm sure you have a different definition. Like most people think of rich, they think financial, but you're yeah, thinking yeah. rich life, yeah. right? So it's like. I think there's healthy egos. It's like healthy stress, right? The stress I put on myself and hold myself accountable is actually a positive stress. The stress that I allow the world to put on me that's not necessarily even there, that's a negative stress. So it's like ego is the same thing. You need you need confidence um, uh, that you're going to add value, but you got to be open to the feedback that you might be wrong about how that value gets added. And I think that's a subtlety that really matters to be able to push forward um, or even start. Yeah, that is, a, that is a subtlety too. And I think that probably part of what helps is getting older and your ego maturing a bit where it's not so much about personally winning and more about just like seeing your achievements succeed in whatever form they take. And as you get older, I know that I've, I've kind of like, as the meaning for rich changes from money to just having a great life, so will the ego change from like me, me, me to like, look what we've done, you know? The we. The we. The royal we, if you want to get, you know, if you the want to get kingly. So, so one thing I'm curious too, is that because you've started a lot of great companies and met so many cool people along the way, it must, it must give you some, um, almost just surprise knowing where you came from growing up in a small town and not having these connections to now being very well connected. Obviously clarity is a tool for this, but what can someone who's starting off in a similar situation to you do to start making connections that are more meaningful? Because I know that you know, for you coming out of rehab and jail, like you were in a prime position to just have a horrible, a horrible life surrounded by people who don't care about you. And a lot of people, maybe not 
are in as bad a situation as you were, but also have people who just don't get it. Um, and and how how can we find our core group of people who can at least begin the process of helping us to pull out of that slump? Yeah, I mean, the, the you know, people talk about the people and, and how important it is. Me, me and my brother actually talked a lot about it. I mean, we he, he runs a very successful multi-million dollar real estate company and home building company. And, you know, I've done extremely well in the software space. And, um, you know, we, we were talking about an old friend that we we both knew and just like, you know, how he came up to him, you know, on the beach and was all messed up and, you know, but like that could have been us. So like, it's kind yeah. of funny to, yeah. you know, like something happened, some some decision we made. And I don't think it's just one, but it was multiple decisions and people that came into our lives and just uh, an environment. So, you know, what I tell people all the time, it's, it's kind of like, you know, if you want to be healthy, like the easiest thing you could do is just spend as much time as you can with the most athletic people, you know, like if you are out of weight and you want to get in shape, find the most athletic people, you know, and spend time with them because you will feel like an idiot ordering kind of chicken nachos, fully loaded wok sauce and all that stuff when they're ordering like, you know, lean chicken salad. Like you're just, it's going to, yeah. So like there's this, 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 um, really, uh, palatable peer, positive peer pressure uh, thing that occurs, right. It's uncomfortable. So that's why people say they want mentors. I don't think, I think they're scared because they don't want to be held accountable. So that there is, there, there's that fact. The easiest way, and this is what I did in my you know, small town growing up, is I found entrepreneurs that sat on boards of nonprofit organizations. Because right off the bat, it pre-qualifies them. They care about the community. They're successful entrepreneurs because they were asked to be on the board. Smart. And they typically have a lot more time than a busy entrepreneur like you or I. Like we, we, That's what people don't get. They like see the people that are notable online because we put out a lot of content and they want to reach out to us. Yeah. But the truth is, is we're not the best people to yeah. reach out to because we've got a lot of demand. I can name 35 incredibly successful entrepreneurs that would have, would love to hear from a young entrepreneur yet though they're not doing the work to find those people. Yeah. So that, that is like the lowest hanging fruit available to everybody watching this. And all they got to do is Google kind of nonprofit charities in their city and then look at the board of directors and read the bios and build the list and then just send out an email. It's because those guys aren't like, they didn't start Clarity. They're doing something other that's like more boring. They're not you know? producing content. Yeah, they're not producing content. Yeah, they're, they're literally not producing. Like that's the, the only difference between you and I and everybody else is we produce content, yeah. right? We build companies that are more notable, that are more consumer-esque or entrepreneurial-esque that people would know about. But, you know, like my buddy that owns, you know, all the car dealerships in the city, he's like 42 and he's a baller. No content. And nobody, nobody reaches out to him. And he would be an incredible, he's one of the guys <laughs> I turn to for advice. So it's like, yep. I, I just find like, that's the, the no brainer. I just think people back to kind of ego and confidence, they don't think enough about themselves. And what you learn quickly, once you start surrounding yourself with people that have gone through and had success is we all started from nothing. And we have a really big part, you know, a spot in our heart for helping the motivated young hustlers. It's just the truth is there's just not a lot of them. As yeah. much as we all think there's a lot, a lot of people aren't reaching out as much as people think they are. Well, not, not in any kind of, yeah, a quality form, right? Like a really good earnest reach out. Yeah, I mean, entrepreneurship, and, and that's, that's a whole topic in and of itself. You should make a video on that on your channel and on, re, on how to reach out to, to influencers. I've been trying to talk to my audience about this as well. Um, I'm not trying, I have been talking to them. And one of the things I've noticed is, first of all, just like you said, they'll just find the most popular people on social media and, and DM them and say, hey, could you mentor me? That doesn't count. Um, mm. And I think that there's something to be said for, for trying to actually be useful 
to someone who you who you'd like to potentially have mentor you. It, it's not actually that hard to figure out nowadays with the internet what people are into, what they like, places they might frequent, events they might be speaking at. You have to actually physically insert yourself into someone's life, especially with so much distraction now. But it's possible, um, and I know that's the way that I found a lot of mentors myself when I came to to LA. Our mutual friend Jordan was the first person I met. And uh, we, we met for sushi, and it was over a period of, of months that we built that relationship. And since then, um, that has changed my life. And it's probably only been a handful of relationships that have changed my life. What, what do you think, who has been a really important person, or maybe a few important people who you think have been uh, like instrumental in, in shaping your direction? Can you name a few that have like really, really helped you set, set a course? There's literally dozens. dozens yeah. um, you know what's one that might be interesting to your community right now is is two people in the tech space that are getting a lot of heat. Travis Kalanick oh. and Dave McClure. Ooh, yeah. So it's interesting, right? When you, yeah, Travis and Dave McClure, um, he, he's just been uh, put into this bucket of sexually aggressive uh, funder. He created 500 startups. So That's right. he's the, the founder. Exactly. So here yeah. I am. Okay, you got to understand this. This is I. I literally went from Canada to San Francisco. I didn't know a soul, and the first person I reached out to is Dave McClure. And cold called him, said the whole value create. I I called the value creator principle. So I, I looked at what he was doing online, and I emailed him, and I said, I'm moving to the city. I just sold my company. I don't know anybody, but I can write code. I can do business development. I'm pretty smart. Whatever you want to do, let me help you with with that. And he's like, oh, what? What is this? What? And I was just like, I'll tell you what, I'll call you back in a week and we'll talk. <laughs> and literally, I called him back in a week and he said, uh, I got two projects you could help me with. And we we ended up, I mean, he he was such an, a gracious person. Like he opened up his home to me, even though I had my own apartment. He was like, hey, do you need a place to stay? And I'm like, no, man, I'm good. Um, and we created an event called Finance for Founders where we'd bring together 150 entrepreneurs. And it was through all that we did, we did that for a year. Every month we did an event. Um, I met Travis uh, Kalanick, CEO of Uber. He became an investor in my company, Flowtown. He became a mentor of mine. He taught me everything I know about fundraising. So like those two guys have, if you said like name 12, they would be on the list of 12. Yeah. And here I am now, eight years after the fact, and, and the, the shit people are talking about these two guys. And look, they, it is what it is, right? But I also know I'm the guy that, you know, did some really bad things growing up. Mm-hmm got, you know, end up in jail twice and had people over time, I earned back their trust. So like, I'm, I'm just not throwing stones and I can, I can, so it's, it's kind of weird how these people, right. Imagine someday your mentor, one, maybe out of dozens will do something that gets them blacklisted. It's Bill like Cosby. how you react to that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, there you go. So what it's do you like, do? To me, it's, I'm, I'm just, at the end of the day, I believe at the core of everybody, they're good people, period. And I, and I believe this for everybody. Canadians. And people make mistakes. I know, maybe we're fine. I'm so naive. But <laughs> I just I just can't look the other way. Like, he created a lot of value. Both tra- and, and, and Travis was just, he had people in his organization. He was, by all means, not involved in that. Um, Dave, you know, some people wrote some pretty um, exploitive type content. Uh I don't know. I just, it's such a unique content topic thing. I thought, why not bring it up on your podcast? Cause I've been thinking about it. I haven't written about it or tweeted about it. Cause have I'm you, just have like, you spoken to Travis since he, since he left Uber. I tweet after his, when his mom died, um, I sent him a message. Yeah. So it, it all happened. This is all in the last month, really the Dave McClure stuff in the last four days, like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, it just, it snowballed where he essentially got kicked out of his company. 
Like he resigned, he's done. And like, I worked, I, I was, the thing that Dave asked me to help him on when I moved there was to start a fund. It didn't work out because 2008 happened. He went and worked at Founders Fund, which is Peter Thiel and a bunch of other guys. Yep. And he did a Facebook fund for them. And then he started 500 about two years later. So I was very like, you know, around and like the guy, he invested in both my companies. He was super helpful, probably the most connected person. I did geeks on a plane with them. So like, you know, it's it's interesting that um, that someday some people listening to this are going to be in that position where the people they look up to end up, you know, it's that whole, I don't know, there's so many like your, you know, the, the emperor doesn't wear clothes or, you know, all those quotes about your mentors not being, you know, the people you put on pedestals, uh, they're all flawed. We're all flawed. Yeah. I mean, that's the funny part, you know? So it's just, um, yeah, I don't know if there's a, if there's a lesson learned in there other than, um, I think what you said about just figuring out how you can create value for people, like that's, that's what I, I mean, if you just use that intention, right. It's like, how do I approach people and just say, how can I create as much values for other people as I possibly can? And, you know, Jordan's like everybody I've oh, yeah. met that I like are like that. Their default is, I don't care what you can do for me. How can I add value to you? And I'm just going to trust that this process over, over time is going to work out. And, um, and, and truthfully, that's why clarity grew so big was because I, I put a lot of, you know, I organized those founder dinners, 150 entrepreneurs for a year. I mean, that's a thousand plus entrepreneurs where I brought together yeah. on my time and my, you know, like I just wanted to, um, to learn and be around great people. So, you know, I, I just think the, the world's more fun that way. I think good things happen to those that, um, that create value. And, um, you know, and someday, I guess my whole thing with that is I'm not going to turn my back on those guys. I'm not condoning what they did. But there are people that, from my perspective, create a lot of value, and um, and I've had people forgive me, and I, I'm not I'm not going to be the first one to just not, you know what I mean? Even if they never do anything for the rest of their lives, I mean, Travis is going to be well off for oh, the rest of his life. But Dave, yeah, like people are like, Who's my wife asked me that last night. She's like, is Travis like, did he lose all his money? I'm like, no. <laughs> we're talking we're talking like hundreds of millions on a billion, like. Oh, yeah. You know, people, people don't understand the difference between a million dollars and a billion dollars. Okay. It's like in seconds, it's like 13 days versus 35 years. If we took a million yes. seconds versus a billion, that it's, analogy. it's exactly, they're two different worlds. So <laughs> Travis is still going to be a billionaire. It's just plus or minus a couple hundred million. Right. But, but Dave for, for who knows, like he might be blacklisted from ever investing and you know, he's, he's, he's kind of, it's, it's crazy. So I don't know. It's, it's interesting. Well, you know, you know, but you know what really stuck out to me besides, and I joke about being, you know, Canadians, oh, you Canadians are so happy. Uh, but I think more what it is, is you've just been through some shit. And most people who haven't been through any seriously traumatic experiences just can't relate to others who have serious shit go on with them. Uh, when, when I first met my girlfriend, she'd been through so much stuff already. And so she's like, you know, one thing that you need, and I don't wish this on you, but one thing that you need is you just need to go through some, some serious shit. You need to go through some some really hard stuff. And over our, our relationship, we've been together seven years now, I've gone through some really hard stuff. And it's given me a depth that I didn't have before. And it's made me more compassionate. You know, I've had people die, I've had people, I've had to fire people, I've had to quit all this in the, you know, these 10 year periods, or this the seven to 10 year period that I've had. And you're right, the boy that you are, or the girl that you are, you grow into a man or a woman. And those experiences are part of it. And as anyone who's listening to this, as you grow, some of those negative experiences are crucial, crucial in being able to turn other experiences later into positive ones. And you've definitely done the whole lemons to lemonade thing. And I think you can see that in other people too. Dave 
And Travis, they're going to have to also earn back respect, earn back trust. Uh, it can be done. It, and that's the thing. It, it could be ultimately the best thing that ever happened yeah. to them or yeah. not. Like it's literally every, everybody gets this, this thing. And, um, you know, I, it's so funny. Like it, this isn't like a psychology bullshit thing. Like literally our challenges can, will definitely make, nobody gets better without challenge. Like that's, it's almost like steel sharpened steel or no yeah. pressure, no diamonds. Like it, like people wish their life was easier. And I wish my life was harder because I know through that struggle that I'm going to step up and I will grow through that. And I don't grow when I don't do that. It's like, you know, working out at the gym. It's just like, you like, you know, yeah. if you just, if you just call it in, you don't actually like get the work done. There's no results. So, but how do you teach that to people? How do you teach them to, to want the grind to, to fight for it, to, to, to not wish that things got easier, but they got better. When did you get your first gray hair? That would have been, I was early-ish, probably 29. I got mine at 27. The stress popped it out of my chin. Well, so I don't know. So it's funny because I I don't have much chin hair, but um, I do remember it. It's looking good. I do. Yeah, yeah. It's it's blended in. I actually, um, I I take it as almost like my brain thinks on a different level. So it fries the brain. You know what I mean? (laughs) So much power can't contain it. I think Suma is like, again, I reframe everything. It's like, you know, if my hair wasn't gray, I wouldn't be thinking hard enough. So, um, yeah, so everybody's got like, you know, perfectly brown or dark hair their whole lives. I'm just like, you got to get some work done. Um, yeah, <laughs> you haven't done anything if you still have brown hair. Yeah, you haven't done anything. You're not working that brain. It's just sitting there. Tell that, tell that to my mom. Tell that to all the women in my life. <laughs> they don't yeah, want the gray hair. They don't want to hear that. Um, no. You know, it, it reminds me. Have you read um, what's uh, the hard thing about hard thing? Hard things by Horowitz. Yeah, I think about the dark night of the soul for entrepreneurs, and when you couldn't make payrolls, so you had to get basically like a payroll advance for your company, and they didn't know about what. I mean, you've been through like the personal rock bottom, but what's the entrepreneurial rock bottom like? Where like I might have to give this company away, or Dude, sell I, it? I like yeah. So Flowtown gets shut down, right? Yeah. So like we literally get the call. It's like the techno, the, the APIs we're using with Facebook, they change the terms of service. The product goes to zero. We have two months. We just close a round of funding. We've got like 50,000 customers and zero. But here's the thing. It's funny. Like it, it took me years of developing. Like, again, the person I was when I was early 20s is not who I am now. Yeah. I actually kind of like that. I like to be tested. I, <laughs> I remember my co-founder. You, someday, you can have my co-founder, Ethan, on this podcast because it was such a great – he was younger. He was like 24. I was 29 when we started, so he was like the young grasshopper. And I didn't even want to be part of the company. I just wanted to invest. And he's like, no, I need you. He was, he was very persuasive. And uh, when it happened, it for him, it was like, oh, my God, what do we do? Like Eeyore, like just like. And I was like, <laughs> dude, we now get to prove that we're as good as we've been telling everybody. Yes. Like, this is the moment. Like, we've been out there talking about how smart we are. Now, we either are or we aren't, but we get to decide right now. So how we react with our investors, how we react with our customers, how quick we yeah. kind of rebuild the business yeah. is going to dictate if we're good or not. I'm okay with that. And if we and and look, the good news is if it doesn't work out, nobody will hold it against us because literally the product didn't work. Like nobody be like, oh, Dan failed. It's like the terms of cert, like we didn't do it. It's like Twitter yeah. saying you no longer have access to our API and you built your whole business on Twitter. It's like. Nobody's going to hold you again, accountable for that. Does that it's say just, something is what about, it is. 
does that say something about building your whole business on someone else's platform? Dude, I will never do that again. Yeah. That's that was the biggest lesson I learned with Flowtown was, you know, and I and I I coach a lot of software entrepreneurs, and some of them are integrated deeply into like a LinkedIn, or they're using third party APIs Scary. for some data stuff. Oof. Dude, I just got off a call. Actually, uh, one of my clients has um, their whole business on like Theme Force, right? And they're just a ton of sales. Their whole business is on somebody else's platform, and I'm just like, can we please build a strategy over the next nine days to migrate off? Because like. I don't want to. I don't want them to have to go through that. And it's just not. Look, the funny part is you don't have to. Um, so why do it? You know, like why? What, if you if you bootstrap your business on top of a you know all these different APIs, Instagram, Stripe, or whatever, um, good. Get there, but then quickly move move off and try to build a more uh, uh, developed solution. But um, you know, those are, those are good lessons that I'll never make again. When I started Clarity, the first thing people said is like, "Why doesn't LinkedIn build this? You should use LinkedIn's data." And I was like, nope, yeah. I'm not going to do it. Because if I do, it's in their terms of service that you can't or I have to pay for their API. And I just don't want to, I want to build the, I want the business to stay on its own. Yeah. We would have never gotten acquired if I did that because LinkedIn could have blocked, you know, the value. The yeah. real value is in the network we built. That's interesting too, because there's, um, and I don't think this is either good or bad. It's just a difference there. So do you know the foundation, Dane and Andy? For sure. Yeah. yeah. And they have a whole, and I'm not, I don't, I don't have a deep intimate knowledge of everything in their, in their material, but I know that one of the things I advocate is like, Oh, find an existing platform and build off of that. That's a great way to start. But social media, it's like, I tell my followers this and my, my readers, this social media is not a business. Social media is a tool. People think that their, that their social media following growing it to be huge is going to, is going to make or break their business. But you have to have something that stands outside of that. You know? Yeah. I mean, a lot of people got burnt like on platforms, right? These blog platforms, like, it's, people are starting off in business. They don't remember when, you know, Friendster shut down or Friendster. Um, Bebo. Dude, Bebo. Um, I mean, I could literally, you could just Google, you know, social networks that failed or blogging platforms that failed. And if you built out your, you know, your business on the top of these things, even the folks that are using like, uh, well, I mean, Shopify is a little, I mean, that's our core business, but you know, like you should own your own destination and transaction and then use these other networks as, as amplification, right? I mean, ton of people on YouTube, I think in March, they, they did a big ad. There was some ad kind of cutbacks and people that were making a living yeah. no longer make a living off their, you know? So it's like, I just, I'm, you know what I've learned, you know, this is the first time I've ever said this and it took me this long in business to figure this out. The reason why I gravitated towards SaaS and technology and subscription is because there's something about the consistency that I resonate with because of the chaos I grew up in. I can't do like, I'm, I'm an investor in a lot of businesses and that's why it took me this long to look at them. The, the, the unifying thread is they all have monthly membership programs. Every one of them. I can't invest in like an e-commerce transaction that doesn't have a monthly subscription. I can't real estate has a monthly thing. Like I need, there's something about repeatable, scalable, predictable revenue that to me feels absolutely right. And then what I also like about it is every month I get to earn your business. Yep. Right. And I like that. I'm okay with that. I like, I, I, you know, YouTube, same thing in my video. If you watch my welcome video, I say, look, if you love it, great. And if you don't bounce, but I'm okay with that pressure, bring it, let's do it. And every week when I put out a video, I got to ask myself, like, is this going to keep somebody to subscribe? Or are they going to bounce? And you know, I think that businesses that have those kind of models built into them are just, they're, they're fun, right? It's a good positive pressure too. And it also forces you, it gives you a lot of feedback. A lot of times people who just do one-off products don't get, or even care about the feedback they're getting. Cause like, I've already made the sale. Yeah, no feedback. You know, 
The um, people that do launches, I mean, it, that's the thing. It's like there's no continuity. There's no like they 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 you know they don't they they look at their customers like numbers. Like what was my yeah. my my, my uh, you know cancellation rate? rate. What, yeah, uh, yeah, and they 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 just are like okay, well I'm below two percent. So those people, so I'm within norm. It's like why did they like find out why they yeah. canceled? Like to me. Again, I'm, I, churn is the number one metric you monitor in a SaaS business. So, like, I, we need to find out why they're canceling so we can yeah. fix the product to make sure that doesn't happen or you don't have a business. So, I like that. I like I like the the month to month feedback cycle of am I creating enough value to justify the the value that I'm capturing from that transaction. There's also there's also something to be said for the idea that continuity programs develop a tribe, right? Very Seth Godin tribe, like people who care about a product or a service or a community you log into it all the time. I go into Headspace. You use Headspace? Yeah. So I love Headspace. I want to meet that guy just so that I can like finally put a face to his, his, I want, his to, voice. I want him to just you whisper I mean? in my ear. I want him to just like sleep next yeah. to me and whisper in my ear. Um, he should be my voicemail. <laughs> he lives in Venice. He lives in Venice. Andy. I've heard that. I'm it's like he on. recently moved there or something. Yeah. yeah. He, does, be, he deserves so to be here. Fun. I don't want to know what he looks like though. That's the fun part. I want to be at a party and hear his voice and go. Headspace you, guy. You've changed my life. It's intimate, man, every day, right? I, that well, audio. It's what I love about the app now, and they've given it a facelift recently. What I love about it is that when I log in, I can see 43,000 people meditating. And I'm like, wow, this is in real time working. Holy shit. And then I think about the business stuff. I'm like, wow, there's a, that's a lot of recurring numbers. <laughs> you know, that's cool. Um, it, and it, even if it was the same, like, let's say he launched the product and he gave us all the meditations and a bunch of downloadable MP3, not the same. Not the same as the continuity, the community, the the continuous feedback to improve since that app has you know been in the world. They have Headspace for Kids now, which I imagine is awesome. They have all these different uh, all these different modalities, and you can't get that without constant feedback. Yeah, I, I think I think you nailed something on on the tribe thing. It's like it all it also builds in kind of like a, a marketing engine, right? So it's yeah. like if I keep using the app, I'm likely to talk about it. You know, what what did you do today? Well, I meditate. What do you use to meditate? So it's kind of like if it's not something that you, you know, it's like Slack or Dropbox, it's like those those tools are inherently what, what I call VWAM, so viral word of mouth uh, marketing, because there's there's a lot, there's a high frequency of usage. And I think that's where like, I'm an investor in CrossFit gyms, a bunch of them. And then there's, you know, Globo gyms, like, you know, the 24 hour fitness. CrossFit's business model is get your members to work out. Okay. If they don't come in, that's a bad thing. Big gyms, 24 hour fitness, LA, like they don't care if you come in. They, their business model is predicated on the fact that most people will buy membership and never show up. Yep. Right. They couldn't handle like we're there's one gym right right by me, a CrossFit gym and uh Good Life. And and I found out the other day that the Good Life has five thousand members. Okay. CrossFit has two hundred. <laughs> I'm like, we need to just suck, you know, like five hundred of them over to because I like that the business only works when the customer gets the value. Yeah. Right. Like that's just we. I could never own a, a gym that didn't deliver that way because it, it just wouldn't feel good. Well, it's that you know what it is though. I've realized, um, and this is something I've realized too. And you know, going starting a couple things, and 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 then recently now with Rich Twenty and seeing a lot of different influencers in the space, people who are all making money. I realized everyone has different motivations for why they start their business, and some people are really, really just truly about the money, and that is their primary metric, and that's. Okay, I guess that's not the way that I think of things. That's okay if that's their thing. 
But when money is your primary metric, it's easier to have a business like that. You know, if it's just like, you know, you know, what's funny though, is um, here's, here's what I try to teach people is that, and there's nothing wrong. Like the beauty of, of this world of content, especially with like social words is really create all these kind of micro celebrities is that it's like rock bands, right? Like we all create our own music and yeah, we build yeah. a tribe around the people that like the music. So the, the good news about what we do, we, we don't care about the money. We, we create the, the impact and the value is that we attract people that care about those things. And they're a higher value customer, net net, than the financially driven buyer. Mm -hmm. So it's actually mm -hmm. a better business model to not be about the money because we don't attract the people that are about it, which don't end up having a high, high lifetime value customer. Like I, I have friends that don't have a lot of customers. But like, if you call it revenue per fan on Facebook, ridiculous. they're crushing. Ridiculous. Yes, crushing it versus other people that have huge followers that can't even figure out how to make a profit. So it's like mm -hmm. two different worlds. I, I, I'm all about, I'd rather, I like the value, like small number, higher value. But then once you get that, how do you replicate that to scale? That's always been my, that's my, my approach to business. If you ask me like what I learned about business is build the small model, Make sure the economics work and then scale it up. But if you try to grow without that, the whole thing just ends up, it's almost like a pyramid scheme. Yeah. You know, what's funny, man. I, my view has totally changed on scale as well. Scale's fine and it has its place, but we cut 80,000 people from our email list in the last month. And I'm like, cool, great, bye. Um, and we're streamlined now. And the people actually open all the emails. And I sent an email yesterday and I got 600 responses back. I'm like, yeah, this is how it's supposed to be, you know? And it's much better to talk to a, there's something about building a tribe where when it's smaller and tighter, the message gets around faster, people are more excited. When you have this big thing where you're shouting into a room and you're like, hello, can dissipates. anyone hear me? It dissipates. Yeah. You know? I mean, I think, our, I think our view of what's big has really just gotten blown way out of proportion with social media now. It has to be millions of followers. You know, if you have an email list with 10,000 people, Madison Square Garden in New York holds 20,000. So you got half of a stadium there. That's a lot of fucking people. If you can't make it work with 10,000 people, you're doing it wrong. You know, it's a lot of people. I can't even think of 10,000 little stick figures in my head, let alone. Isn't that you know? funny how like, because everything's like this number and email, like I, I'll never, yeah. uh, never be grateful for the fact that those are real people, right? For the most part, I mean, yeah. maybe there's double accounts and whatever, but like if those people are ever in front of my house. Imagine. Like those are real people. Like I'm, I'm, I, I will never take for granted an email subscriber, a, a subscriber on YouTube. That's even harder. Sure. I think this is like, I worked my ass off for my subscribers on YouTube. You're like a 12,000. I was like, it, Oh, he's double me. I got to get it. I know I try. I mean, literally if anybody's built and because my content is very businessy, it's not, yeah. it's, there's not a lot of entertainment stuff. You I gotta be entertainment. I know, I know, but it's just kind of like, it's just not me. It's kind of, <laughs> I, I wouldn't want to do it for the wrong reasons. Yeah, and I think yeah, right yeah. now it would be, um, but I just, I'm, I'm cool with those 12, you know, I'm yeah. like, I, I really, yeah. Like those are, if those people were, were here for a party, it'd get out of, out of control. So yeah. like you said, if you can't create value and capture some value for those people, then you're doing it wrong in business. I sent over, I sent that because our email list is like, in that, we're right under 70,000 now. I was like, guys, think about it like this. I'm not suggesting anything, but if we want to take over a small country, if we had the right ammunition, we could do it. You know, that's a lot of people. Target, give them a target. You know, yeah, give them a target. All right, you know what? Lead the way to the target and have them follow you. Don't even tell them. Just go go in the place where you want them to go. Um, I love this conversation. I can go on for a long time, but I want to, you know, make sure that people have a, a crystallized message and they're not getting too distracted because you have a lot of content as well. So where can they find out some of the some of the more interesting, in-depth things that we haven't had a chance to talk about today with your story and your life? 
Yeah, so I mean, danmartel.com, two L's and Martel is the best place. Um, and I would, I, and, but I would say if you're, if you're like, who the fuck is this guy? Which I'm totally like, I would just go check out my YouTube. Yeah, yeah. like I don't ever pretend anybody knows me, and I'm, and I, and and you know, it's funny because like you just gotta go to, to the mall and ask a hundred people if they know who Tony Robbins <laughs> is, or you know, whoever Gary V, whoever you think is super famous, just go to your are. local mall. Nobody knows who like. People are so high on themselves; it just well, makes me laugh. It also just it just gives you, gives you this like for me, it's a sense of relief because I'm like, oh, I'm not as big as Tim Ferriss, but Tim, but no one knows who Tim Ferriss is. No, that <laughs> just means there's a ton of ups, like room to grow and yeah. people to influence, and yeah, um, and, and you know, you can make bigger mistakes maybe because people aren't as paying attention as much as you think. So, um, yeah, go check out my YouTube channel, Dan V Martel is Subscribe. my channel, and. Uh, yeah, so I would say my newsletter, I'll tell you why they should subscribe, is that I literally put is I put more effort into the newsletter than any other medium because of the things we just talked about, is yeah. that if somebody's going to give me the honor of emailing them, I want to make sure that I would, I never send an email I wouldn't want to receive. I always make sure that their story, my personal stories and content and high value and kind of cool little references and links of stuff they probably have never heard of, kind of things that I've collected over years. So I put a lot of work into the newsletter. I love it, man. Dan, thank you so much. for all your links in the show notes. I appreciate you, man. I'm really grateful for the opportunity to share. You just experienced the Rich 20-something podcast. Ah, my friends, I hope that you love today's episode as much as I love recording it for you. Uh, Dan is a serial entrepreneur, and I say that with uh, you know, with all the sincerity that I can, because there's not too many of them. Most people have a hard time coming up with one idea. And then you see someone like Danny, like, man, he can keep doing it over and over again. I guess it's in the blood. It's in the blood. And I love to hear from the mind of someone who has created uh, some really interesting businesses. And I, I truly do believe in the recurring model, um, just because I feel like it's so, it, it's such a uh, a value prop for an investor. And when you are selling a business and you're thinking about exiting, that is a big factor. And, um, and investors want to know and, and they want to, owners want to know that what they are buying has guaranteed recurring revenue. And that's really what an MRR uh, can do in a well-oiled SaaS business. So great uh, point of reference for Dan. Uh, check out what he's doing and check out what we're doing on the New Wave uh, website. NewWaveEntrepreneur.com is where you can get all the latest updates on what the community has to offer. And uh, make sure you subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to this. I'll leave a comment or review and uh, we will appreciate it so much. Okay, guys, the water is warm. The tide is rising. Let's get ready to jump on in and surf this new wave. Daniel, out.